Hey, and welcome to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. This episode is sponsored by Solvetto. Stay ahead of the game and advance your career with continuous learning opportunities for Azure cloud professionals. Solvetto EduHouse, learning as a lifestyle. Start your journey now on eduhouse.fi slash cloudpro. I'm Tobias, and I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Tobias. Very nice weather in Finland, at least this week. Right now, the forecast for today is plus 27 Celsius for Helsinki, where I'm based. And I had to look this up again. That is 80 degrees Fahrenheit. And us Finns, we are not used to this. This is way too hot <laughs> for us. The, the solar panels that I have now on the roof of my house, they are pulling extra duty. So on a day like this, I am seeing about 70 kilowatt our yields in total for the day. But too bad, the spot market prices are very, very low. So what I can do is I can sell any ex excess energy back to the grid. But since the spot market prices are so low, I'm not really getting getting anything back from that. So I gave the kids my permission to keep every possible device and gaming console turned on during the day so that we can actually consume the energy that we're getting. <laughs> Yeah. All right. And that makes sense. So speaking of weather, we have some pretty good weather here as well. We don't have 27 degrees Celsius. We have right now we have 18 and I expect it to be maybe 23 or 24 during the day, which is still a pretty good summer day, which means, you know, I'm spending more time in the garden after work and the garden goals are achieved for this year already, which is pretty early because we've not had a lot of rain. We've had a lot of sun no clouds, really, really good weather. And I've conserved rainwater. So when it did rain, I saved this into big buckets and, and barrels so I can use that to uh, irrigate or drip water my, my different plants. So some details from this year's harvest so far, and this is pretty much from May uh, to right now, for the edible garden in the greenhouse is about 100 cucumbers are harvested in two months. 10 or so tomatoes, they're just getting ripe this week two buckets of gourmet potatoes. I'm growing my potatoes in buckets so I can move them around because we have a pretty tiny garden. And when the uh, when the green of the, of the potatoes start showing up in the bucket, it looks pretty shitty. So I just want to move them around so I don't have to see them uh, in the garden. So there's another, I think, eight buckets of gourmet potatoes waiting for me this summer. They were super good. I tasted them yesterday. I also have a lot of kumquats these are super small citrus fruits, and there are just a million of those right now. Then all the things like reddish and uh, you know a lot of different herbs and stuff like that. So the garden goals are 100% achieved and overachieved. So this makes me very happy. And if you're a regular to the show, you know I speak a lot about staying analog, going into the woods. I'm doing hiking, doing a lot of things in the garden. This is kind of my way to find my Zen mode and do my kind of mindfulness. So I'm very happy with the with the current state of the harvesting. That sounds awesome. At some point we have to do an episode on, on the gardening and harvesting, nothing about Azure, just about the plain old <laughs> analog stuff. A couple of community highlights. There's an interesting blog article on grounding LLMs, the large language models. And, and this has uh, use case specific information for ensuring quality, accuracy, and relevancy. And this is from Eleanor Berger. Go and take a look. We have the link for this in the show notes. 
Uh, Toby, did you also find find something uh, from the community that's interesting? I did found, uh, find one thing from the Microsoft Tech community by Joseph Dadzi, who announced the general availability of Microsoft Entra ID governance, which is a complete identity governance product now, ensuring the right people have the right access to the right resources at the right time. So that is interesting if you work with Azure AD, if you uh, work with identity and uh, any of these things in, in the cloud, then take a look at that. The link to that is also in the show notes. All righty, awesome. So today we have our Azure updates episode. So typically once a month, we take a look at what's been announced, what's available, what's new in terms of Azure. And obviously since Microsoft built was about a month ago. That also means there's not a huge list of new updates happening because plenty of those updates were pushed for build. And now we're sort of still digesting many of those announcements. But we were able to find uh, a couple of really interesting ones that we will highlight next. So we both have our list of announcements and findings we were able to find. Uh, Joby, I, I think you have the the bigger one. Would you like to go first? I can do that. So, and I try to reduce this a little bit. And for many of the Azure update episodes that we do, I, I really like to take the angle for security, which is always going to need to be top of mind. So here's a bunch of updates regarding Defender for Cloud specifically. We'll put the link to the release notes in the show notes of the episode as well. So the first one here, there's really four uh, of the updates that I wanted to highlight that happened in Defender for Cloud, but there's a lot more going on if you check out the release notes. So the four I want to highlight, the first one is planning of cloud migration with Azure Migrate business case now includes Defender for Cloud. Uh, so you can discover potential cost savings and security by leveraging Defender for Cloud within the context of Azure Migrate business case. And for anyone not familiar with Azure Migrate, that's a tool where you can migrate resources and workloads to Azure they have a new preview feature in that product called business case. So Azure Migrate Business Case is a capability where you can go in and build a business case and figure things out. That capability now includes Defender for Cloud. Uh, so that's good to, to know about uh, if you do migrations. The second update for Defender for Cloud is express configuration for vulnerability assessments in Defender for SQL, which is now in GA or general availability. And that provides kind of a streamlined onboarding experience for SQL vulnerability assessments. And you can use that kind of one-click configuration or an API call to get that going. So there's no extra setting or dependencies on any managed storage accounts uh, needed or necessary for that. So that's pretty interesting as well. And the third one is onboarding directly, and here's the kicker, without Azure Arc to Defender for Servers is now also general available. And I think we touched on that a few times before. So previously, Azure Arc, which we also talked about in a couple of episodes, uh, that was required to onboard any non-Azure service to Defender for Servers. So you could kind of get the server insights and the vulnerability and security insights. However, in the latest release, you can onboard your on-prem service to Defender for Servers using only the Microsoft Defender for Endpoint agent. Therefore, you do not need to have the Azure Arc enablement anymore for that. So if you have on-prem servers, use that agent, the Microsoft Defender for Endpoint agent, and voila, you will get this straight into Defender for Service in Azure, which is pretty cool. 
And the final and fourth uh, update for Defender for Cloud uh, is about replacing agent-based discovery with agentless discovery for containers capabilities in Defender CSPM. I know we talked about this at some point as well, where you went more agentless. You could do things without deploying a specific agent. Uh, so now with the something called agentless container posture in Defender CSPM, and CSPM is cloud security posture management that exists within uh, Defender for Cloud, the agent-based discovery capabilities are being retired. Uh, so it's going to be agentless instead. So you can ensure the relevant extensions are enabled to start using this, and then you will continue receiving container-related insights like your attack paths, the insights, and inventory, all these things. The, the key thing to be aware of here is that it may take up to 24 hours before that extension fires up completely. So that might be good to have in mind and, and, and be aware of when you start looking into this, because if you do enable that, you want to get rid of the uh, uh, the agents, you want to use the agentless container posture, which makes 100% sense. Uh, just be aware that it may take up to 24 hours before that extension fires up. Uh, so you might want to hold hold that top of mind so you don't start submitting support cases saying, I tick the button, I enable this thing, but it's not happening anything right now. I'm not getting my insights. It can take up to, uh, to 24 hours. So that's good to be aware of. So that, that's the first kind of update, Defender for Cloud. Alrighty, good stuff. Whenever I see this sort of uh, warning that if you enable this and this, it will take you 24 hours before something happens. I recall back to the day uh, when everything was still on premises. If something did not work, all you had to do is find the relevant NT service on the server. Stop it, start it again. Oh, now it works again. And now with the cloud, I'm often seeing something like this takes 24 hours or four hours or 16 hours because there's a scheduled task doing something in the background that you cannot access. Um, Alrighty, so what I have on my list, I have one fairly small one, but I feel it's very interesting and something that's a bit more, how would I describe this, a bit more complex to tackle. So let's start with the small one first. And this is something that's now generally available. You can do multiple backups per day for Azure VMs. So the idea is that you can go as low as four hours with the recovery point objective, the RPO of your VM. So instead of doing a daily full backup, you can now configure the backup to happen every four hours so that you can recover based on those four hour increments. And what this is also giving you, it's giving you the instant restore retention with a default of seven days and a maximum of 30 days. So the instant restore allows you to instantly restore to a given checkpoint with four hour increments. So you configure this in Azure portal or you use whatever command line tooling you'd like. And for critical VMs, I would advise to definitely take a look at this. So that's the easy one. And the next one, at, at first when I read through the documentation for this, I wasn't really sure what's this about. But now that I've slept over this, I think I understand what's this about. So let's see how this goes. Something in public preview, Azure Active Directory support for Azure Files SMB shares using REST API. So let's unpack this because Azure files obviously 
plain old file shares, which you can map to your workstations and, and servers. So in a public preview now, we have Azure AD-based authentication for Azure Files-based file shares using a REST API, also using the OAuth authentication. So you get read and write access to your file shares but you can authenticate with Azure AD instead of authenticating with an access key like you typically do, or authenticating with an on-premises Active Directory identity, because that would require the, the Cloud Kerberos configuration and all that. I think we've done that in one of the past episodes. Also, you do not need to use a, a SAS key or a SAS token either. So definitely where I would use this, is for external backup solutions. You need to backup something from on-premises to Azure storage. You create the uh, the file share. Now you can secure that with an Azure AD account using OAuth as well. Fairly complex, but I feel this was something we sort of were missing with Azure files. Yeah, I, that's pretty interesting. The next one on my list is for Azure Advisor. It's in public preview right now, and it's assessing the impact of service retirements, which is a workbook template in Azure Advisor. And I love workbooks. Uh, I've used them a lot in my days to ensure I have the visibility required to kind of operate my distributed systems, keep track of cost, different threats, uh, application health, uh, exceptions, anything else you can think of in the cloud. So it's, it's pretty cool. There's a service retirement workbook that now gives you kind of this centralized resource level view of service retirement, and that can help you kind of assess the impact, evaluate your options and plan migration of those services and features. For now, that workbook contains about 35 services and features set for retirement. Uh, so this is really just a great help in managing your big cloud estate because you get that kind of one pane of glass, single pane of glass insights into Here's all my resources. Here's all my workloads, or you know, all my services that I'm using. This workbook will dive into those and take a look at what features are you using, what capabilities are you using of those services, and what services are you actually using. And then it's going to flag them and saying, well, these are actually going to be deprecated this and that time, so it's time for you to start thinking about service migrations. Because otherwise, the way we used to do it, you got an email, right? You subscribe to Azure Service Health, and then you subscribe to different things, and you would get an email. Uh, from Azure saying, oh, we noticed you have a storage account, or we noticed you have a web role, or, or you know whatever it might be, a worker role, the things we used to do with classic cloud computing stuff. And then you would get an email saying, all right, this is going to be fully retired or deprecated by 2023, maybe, or whatever it might be. Then you had to figure out, how do I fit this into my operations plan, to my migration plan? How do I fit it into my strategy, my business plan? Because it kind of changes the the landscape if you need to start shuffling around things that's been in, in operations for a long time. Now, instead of getting that email and then trying to fit that in, using this workbook might be a good first step to be more proactive and see, all right, here's a list of everything that we have that is touching on a service that is already planned for deprecation or retirement. And then you already know. You can take a look at that. You can plan accordingly and just kind of use that as a single pane of glass. Now, I said there's about 35 services included in that. I'm not sure if that means that there's only 35 services currently set or planned for retirement or if that workbook only covers those. I'm not sure about that. So 
that is something to figure out and, and keep in mind. So when whenever you do get an email saying, hey, feature XYZ or this service will be retired, you know, in 2024, May, might be good to take a look at the workbook, make sure that it shows up there and then kind of build your mitigation plan. But yeah, a really interesting thing to just kind of manage your, like visualize and, and manage your cloud estate, uh, especially especially around retirement and, and things that's going to be deprecated. So I, I really like that. It's a big step in the right direction. Something that I was definitely missing when I was operating my cloud solutions as well. Yeah, this is definitely something that's been missing. I, I think we are both old enough to recall when Microsoft retired or they announced the retirement of remote app, maybe 2015, 2014, something like this. And that was a huge blow because a lot of companies were evaluating remote app, which today is called Azure Virtual Desktop at the time. And suddenly you get an email saying, well, this no longer exists. So just shut down whatever you have and move to Citrix or something else. And now looking at something like this, a workbook that already lists 35 services. So it's evident also that Azure is also mature enough that certain older stuff has to go away to make room for new stuff. Next on my list, and this is in public preview, Azure Container Instances, ACI, they have support for spot containers. And you already have spot VMs, meaning you get significant discounts when you utilize unused Azure computing capacity. So ACI can now utilize unused Azure computing capacity, giving you massive discounts. The documentation states you get up to 70% discounts compared to regular Azure container instances. I did try to find this item um, on the Azure pricing calculator. It's not there. It's also not listed. The, the exact discounted amounts are not listed in Microsoft Learn either. Uh, so. If you plan on using this, keep in mind there's an eviction policy. So when that unused computing capacity is no longer available, your container will be evicted and shut down. Couple of limitations, no public IP endpoints, no VNet support, no availability zone pinning. So this is optimal for those scenarios where you need container instances to to do something and if it gets interrupted, it doesn't really matter. You can shift that load to a different container that you then spin up. But the discount, that looks good. I really like this and spot containers is a interesting thing. I, you know, we've taken a look at spot VMs for quite some time and just using capacity that's already there to a reduced price is good. It's kind of what you told your kids. Like we already had the capacity because of the solar panels, they're generating so much electricity. So you already have the capacity. You're just not utilizing it. So it's kind of the same thing. You're just telling, hey, burn the calories. You know, we already, this electricity will just kind of go to waste. So if you turn something on and you use it, it's it's not going to cause a higher bill or higher utilization for for that matter. So the last one on my end is also a public preview capability, and that's Azure Virtual Desktop Insights, which is powered by the Azure Monitor agent. So Azure Virtual Desktop Insights, that's a dashboard built on Azure Monitor workbooks. Again, coming back to a key topic of mine, a favorite topic, which is workbooks. We talked about that in the previous um, kind of bullet point here that I mentioned as well. Uh, workbooks are awesome. And, and this helps IT professionals kind of understand the Azure Virtual Desktop environment using this 
this uh, Azure Virtual Desktop Insights workbook. So admins now dealing with Azure Virtual Desktop Insights can leverage the Azure Monitor Agent, AMA, to collect data from session hosts. So currently flagged as in development, if you look at the Azure Update Center, but it's titled Public Preview. So it might be worth checking out availability today because, it, because it's flagged as in development, but it's also titled Public Preview, which is usually it's either in preview or it's in development, but now it says both. So I'm not sure which it is. It might be worth checking that out if you're working with AVD or Azure Virtual Desktop and Azure Virtual Desktop Insights. This capability now introduces an updated configuration workbook experience to help you like orchestrate the setup and management of all the required components for this. So that's interesting if you're using AVD or Azure Virtual Desktop. I'm getting a lot, a lot of insights from organizations using that now, which is really interesting. So I think we should probably revisit. I think we talked about that in one episode about AVD. I think we should revisit that with some enterprise organizations who have this rolled out to see like, how do you use it? What's the benefit? How did it change the game for you? Uh, you know, what should other companies think about if they're now using something else? What is the benefit for them as an enterprise to kind of move in that direction? That's a side note. That's something we can do in a future episode. Uh, but I'm, I'm seeing a lot of signals around that, which is pretty interesting. So my final update was public preview, Azure Virtual Desktop Insights, which is powered by the Azure Monitor Agent. Already, that's an interesting one. I worked a bit with Azure Virtual Desktop recently, and I didn't really need a workbook or some sort of uh, insights into into what I was building. But at the same time, the deployments were fairly small. When you get to five or twenty thousand users, I think you're going to need some sort of an insights view on what's really happening with this deployment. Last on my list, also in public preview, support for WebSocket APIs in Azure API management when you use the self-hosted gateway. Again, awfully specific, but perhaps that's what I, why I wanted to highlight this update. So let's say you have a third-party service or third-party application running in on-premises. And now you somehow need to connect with that one externally. You would perhaps use Azure AD application proxy for that, but that's not ideal for APIs. It's ideal for applications to expose those. So now with this support, you can deploy the self-hosted gateway of Azure API management. And then um, if that one has a WebSocket type of an API, sort of like a streaming approach, you could now use Azure API management to expose that to Azure. The downside is that this seems to require API management premium, isolated, or developer, and they are fairly costly and the developer is not fit for production. And when I had a look at the documentation, there's a footnote describing this capability, WebSocket API support. There's a footnote that says, WebSocket APIs are not yet supported. So I'm not entirely <laughs> clear how this works, <laughs> but if I ever get the self-hosted gateway up and running, because it's a little bit problematic if you do not have a locally hosted AD because it's missing DNS and all that stuff. If I ever get this up and running, I will be sure to test this out. So I, I, wonder, if the, uh, I wonder if that note about not being supported is that it's in public preview. So it's in preview and oftentimes there's a disclaimer saying, this is a preview feature, you know, we hold no support. If you use this in production, that's on you. 
So it might might be something like that. Might be something like this. Uh, Alrighty, those were all the updates we had for this time. The last bit is the unexpected question. And Toby, I will be asking you the question. Are you ready? I'm always ready. What's the best slogan you've seen on a T-shirt? Okay, and you know, here I've probably got a long list, but I did see some funny ones um, back in the day. A few of those stuck with me, and I keep them in mind because they're usually pretty good conversation starters and icebreakers, and you don't have to have them on a T-shirt, but these were on a T-shirt. One is, sorry for parting. That's during student years, and there was a lot of parting going on. A lot of people had that. Um, and the other one was, I drink, and when I drink, I know things. Because, well, you know the drill. But the best one was, I pee in pools. Period. That's it. Just casually stating, I pee in pools. Usually... I've seen this a few times, and usually when you're at a resort, you go on vacation, you go somewhere at a resort, and someone has a T-shirt that says, I pee in pools. Nobody is in the swimming pool. <laughs> <laughs> so I, nice I feel those place. are good conversation starters. Uh, you don't have to wear them in a T-shirt. So if, if someone comes up to you and says, hey, so what are you going to do in vacation? Well, I like to pee in pools. That's probably going to be an icebreaker for that conversation, or everyone is just going to turn around and walk away because they're going to think you're an idiot. Nice ones. I've, I haven't seen any of this before. Really nice. Alrighty. Thank you for joining us. See you next week. See you then.